spectacularly. I don't even know how to explain it. Out of nowhere, guess what? Relationship with my father was going down through my pants. Oh, like dear God. It's weird. Boom, boom. And people are shocked. No, 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 not boom, boom. Well, who gets to follow that? This is the Tour Denver podcast. This episode of Tour Denver is brought to you by Pete Beland, Colorado Creative Industries, and Margaret Murphy. For more information about Tour Denver or our sponsors, please visit RacketourDenver.com. Tour Denver is a bi-monthly storytelling series that takes place at locations around Denver, Colorado. At each event, we invite audience members to join us on stage and share a story on the topic of the evening. These are some of their stories. Our first storyteller is Matt. So uh, my story is called uh, The Time I Shit My Pants in an Elevator. Um, a while back, I was, uh, I was in college. I was about the same weight I am now, but drastically different body shape. So virtually every meal that I ate was some combination of, you know, Taco Bell, a gallon energy drink, and maybe some gas station sushi to wash it down. Um, I was on my way home from one of those excursions, and uh, for those of you who haven't shit your pants before, uh, there are like four stages of needing to take a shit. Um, The first stage is like, where it's kind of like if somebody asks you to a restaurant that you don't really want to go to, but you're close to, and you're like, ah, I could do that, you know? Where you're walking past the bathroom and you're like, oh, I I could take a shit right now. Um, The second stage, which I reached an embarrassingly long distance from home, is I need to take a shit right now. Like, it's gotta happen, it's gotta happen soon. And uh, so, like I say, I reached that one 10, 15 minutes away. So um, maybe a mile away from home, I reached phase three, which is, oh my God, I really need to shit. That's where it starts getting painful. Like you start feeling it just kind of here and it comes in waves and you're like, okay, I'm still good. Okay, I'm still good. And at this point, the important thing to note is that you are still physically in control of the shit. Like it's all a battle of wits at this point. The shit is trying to outmaneuver you as it were. And, uh, and so I'm still, I'm, I'm feeling okay about this. And uh, I got to the bottom of the hill where my apartment was, and I entered stage four, which is, I am going to shit at some point. I am no longer in control. My body is going to decide, let's get home as quick as we possibly can. So I, you know, 50 miles an hour up the hill to my apartment, I pull into the parking lot, and I shit you not, I realize it's a bad turn of phrase to use here, but like, as I'm pulling into my space, When the Levee Breaks by Led Zeppelin starts playing on the radio. (laughs) So I'm in the lobby to my apartment, and there is another critical decision here, which is, do I take the elevator or do I take the stairs? Now, the elevator, I don't have to move much. But the stairs, I'm worried that, like, this motion, like this much, is that's going to be it. Because I'm walking kind of like this at this point. (laughs) You know, any further leg movement out here is going to be a bad thing. So I thought I made a rational choice. I went for the elevator. I get in there, just mash the fucking button, like just really hammering that shit. And, uh, and the elevator starts to move. I was on the third floor. This particular elevator had this thing that it would do where it would just kind of hitch in between the second and third floors. It was a really old elevator. And so it does this hitch 
that I'm used to it doing. And then it just stops. Stops outright. We are well in between the second and third floor at this point. I, I pulled the doors open. And there's no way we're getting out of this. Like, it's too thin for my body. I would have taken the risk of death to go and shit in my apartment at this point. And about this time, like, your brain completely breaks down. It, stop, it starts losing all function. It's like you have full-on multiple personality disorder. There's my rational brain, which is saying, you can make it. The elevator will start working again. You can get there. And then there's, like, the Emperor Palpatine voice that's in there going, Do it! Shit your pants! Let go of your sphincter! You know, and then there's like the completely crazy part of my brain, which is just like, well, if it keeps on raining, the levee's going to break. Anyway, I'm like mashing the door open, door closed, buttons, third floor, second floor. The elevator probably didn't stop for a year after I got out of it. But there was this, this moment that I reached finally where it was just like a complete and total moment of serenity and release. Because I knew, I knew there was just nothing I could do to stop it at this point. And like at that point, just fucking... Once you get to stage three of the four pants shitting stages, like everything past that point is pure liquid. I, I want to make this clear. This was not... There's no solid matter that came out at this point. But just fucking butt chunder. Just released filth evil incarnate like my relationship with my father was going down through my pants and and like at, it was the most happy I've ever felt in my entire life like cherubs alighted on my shoulders and like you know a, a Ode to Joy started playing from somewhere that I couldn't hear and like that only lasted a short amount of time because shit gets really cold really fast after it comes out of your butt. And so, like, I had this realization, like, oh, I got to stop it from hitting the floor. So I, like, pulled my pants forward on both sides of my leg, and so I've got, like, cold shit going. The elevator has started going again by this point, but I'm totally not paying attention to it anymore. And, like, get to the third floor and, like, just kind of, uh, uh, all the way down the floor to my apartment... And uh, my girlfriend and roommate were there, like, ready to greet me. Girlfriend's making dinner or something. Hey, how was your day at school? And I walked straight past her, no words. Went immediately into the shower. Didn't take a single layer of clothing off. Ruined the pack of cigarettes in my pocket. And uh, that's the story of how I shit my pants in an elevator. Our next storyteller is Brendan. Me and my friends, we, all, we have this tradition. We always go on a really, really fun, really, really crazy uh, vacation every summer. And one summer, we go to Southeast Asia. If you've ever been to Southeast Asia, it's a crazy, crazy place. You can do just about anything you want, wherever you want. Um, we end up in this bar outside of Siem Reap. Um, Siem Reap is where Angkor Wat is located. It's one of the most beautiful things you can ever go see. I highly recommend it. 3,000-year-old temples with very intricate wall rubbings all over it. Um, so we go drive out there. We, um, we go see all the sites. We do all the tours all day long. And then when we're done, we decide to go to a bar. The bar is called Angkor Wat. A uh, clever name on the Angkor Wat spot. The popular thing to do at Angkor Wat is order the buckets. Do not order more than one bucket. 
Uh, we ordered two buckets to split. We thought we were smart. We'd order two buckets. You have to order two buckets to earn the T-shirt. Otherwise, you don't get the T-shirt. And I really wanted that T-shirt. Uh, little did I know, I would lose my phone, lose my dignity, lose everything I gathered on the trip, all for one little T-shirt. So, um, at the end of these buckets, my friends instantly realize how drunk they're about to get in about an hour. And they decide to go home before they black out, which was the right call. I decided to stay and continue to hit on this cute little French girl that I met uh, earlier in the night. So, um, I'm flirting with this girl, and then I completely lose her, and I give up, but I'm still not ready to go home. So, I walk out on the street, I find a tuk-tuk... And I'm like, hey, uh, this, this guy's super friendly, new English. I was like, hey, t- Tony, I want you to take me all around CM Reap. I want to see the sights. I want to go where the locals go. So take me to your favorite bar. And he's like, boom, boom. And I'm like, no, 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 not boom, boom, the bar. For those of you that don't know what boom, boom is, It's when a man loves a woman, but a woman does not love the man, but loves the money, a.k.a. a whorehouse. So um, I I talk him into not taking me to Boom Boom, but instead taking me to his favorite local spot. I'm the only white guy in there, and I've got this beard, and a white guy with a beard is like a pink rhinoceros in the middle of Southeast Asia. So everyone loves me. So I'm at this bar. So I'm not surprised when these two girls, um, you know, Cambodian girls, are all over me. I'm just like, oh, yeah, of course. What's up? <laughs> Turns out this was Boom Boom Place, and I had no idea. <laughs> okay, it's not like anything you'd imagine it to be. It seems like a very regular bar. But um, before I know it, I'm in, like, a VIP room of some sort, and these two girls are asking for money, and that's about when I realize where I'm really at. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm like, I need to get out of here ASAP. So I sprint out the bar. I yell at Tony across the bar. like, Tony, get that talk, talk. Let's get out of here. I look back, and there is, no joke, a 300-pound woman. I didn't know 300-pound Cambodian women existed. And she's just sprinting after me. She wants her money. And uh, so obviously she was like mama bear for this boom boom house. And so me and Tony are just sprinting at full speed. I jump in the head first in the back of the tuk-tuk. He jumps on the front of it, just takes off. And that's about the last thing I remember of the night. But the night definitely didn't end there. Uh, I can't tell you what happened. I never found out. But the next morning, my friends woke up and realized I wasn't in the room. So they searched the entire uh, hostel complex, and they can't find me. The hostel owner comes up to them, sees them in distress, and says, you're looking for your friend? They're like, yeah, yeah. So they take me around back. Apparently, I, I managed to make it back to the hostel, but I couldn't walk up the stairs, and this poor little Cambodian man could not carry me up the stairs either. So he decided to literally drag me by an arm all the way through to his, like, farmhouse where he sat me into, like, a plastic chair and I slept outside all night. (laughs) 
So they, they wake me up frantically because our bus is leaving. We, uh, we're going back to Thailand. Um, in fact, the very far west side of Thailand. And our bus, there's only one bus leaving Cambodia that day. And we had about 20 minutes. I'm not packed. I haven't eaten anything. So they're like, Brendan, and, and I'm like ghost yellow. I've, I've like uh, very sickly looking. I, I had so much alcohol. Anyways, they're like, Brendan, you eat something. We're going to go pack for you. So I just shove it down. Uh, we hop on the bus. I grab my bag. And then I like hit my pockets. I'm like, oh, shit, my phone. No phone. And so they're like, go get it, go get it. I race upstairs. I search the hostel looking for my phone to no avail. I run back down. They're on the bus, and the bus is taking off. They lean their heads out the back of this bus and yell, we'll come back for you, as they take off on a 24-hour bus ride across two countries. Um, and now I, have, now I have no bags, no phone, no nothing, except my wallet, luckily. And the next day, I actually buy a plane ticket, and I actually fly all the way to Chiang Mai and beat them because their bus ride was so long. And that's when I realized I left every single thing I had bought for the whole trip, every souvenir. So my big failure is I lost my phone, my every souvenir, all these wall rubbings from Angkor Wat, which are amazing, and all for a stupid T-shirt. Our final storyteller is Gardenia. When I was 19 years old, I had $500 that I immorally finessed. I'm not going to lie. I've been a little bit of a scammer in my life. And I used it to buy myself a Greyhound bus ticket from Las Vegas all the way to New York City. So I was on this bus for three days. It was a great trip. I talked to a Kenyan marathon runner who was a professional marathon runner and ran all across the world and used the money from his competitions to help fund education for kids who were in his home village, which was really sweet. I met a family who was moving out back to Detroit, and I just chilled with all their kids sharing a bunch of colored pencils with me. But I was exhausted by the time I got to New York and uncomfortable because I had ridden with a felon who was rubbing my knee the entire time to New York. But I was so sleep deprived, I didn't give a shit. So I land in New York City. And at that time, I crashed with this man who was a legitimate schizophrenic. And at that time, I was unaware of schizophrenia. I only had a textbook definition of it. This man had a wall to walls in his apartment full of radios, which he would turn on, and it was just static. But he would claim that he was receiving messages from beyond the stars. And I was a little concerned. He wasn't a violent person, but I was a little bit ignorant and 19 and scared because this was a grown man. So what happens? I become homeless. I was 19 years old and homeless in New York City. I have been on my own for a long time. I don't know anyone there at all. Like I have no family support, no money, no nothing. 
So I'm out here trying to make it in New York, trying to avoid um, being pimped by men on the corners, uh, defending myself from random strangers in the night with a knife. And naturally, what happens when you are 19 years old, a young girl and homeless in New York City? You become a pigeon lady. I became the official pigeon lady of Washington Square Park in Manhattan. And I slept out there in the park. And I had really beautiful experiences like a hawk shitting on me. Um, rats nibbling at my coat. And, of course, I meet all the locals. Like... Mike, who slept on the floor of this wealthy elderly millionaire's Soho apartment and had been for the past 20 years. And when he would get drunk, the only thing he would say would, How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And of course, I also met Larry, the ex-felon, ex-Hells Angels, who taught me how to make a bomb from an orange peel. And all he would do was, he would follow around this hawk that lived in the university in New York City on like the ledge of a window. And he'd go around and point, follow this hawk around and go, the hawk, the hawk, look at the hawk, there's a fucking hawk. I met Nandi. He was a Taino man. A Taino, the Taino people from Puerto Rico. He was Taino. He was really cool. He was a chess hustler and had won the past 10 like previous chess contests in Central Park in New York. This man was a genius. And he would just walk around the park with squirrels in his pockets. They're just chilling with them. Squirrels. And, of course, I met Paul. Paul the Pigeon Man. The Pigeon Man Paul. He had been feeding pigeons for the past 10 years. He looked like... Um, he looked like Frank Zappa with vitiligo. And he loved these birds. And I would just chill with all these people in the park. A young 19-year-old girl with a crowd of alcoholics... And Larry, the hawk guy, just chilling. And even though I failed to make it in New York, even though I couldn't really find a place to live, even though I had to really rough it and face, like, a lot of violence that a lot of young kids got to go through when they move out there, I learned a lot about life from these people. And I learned that it doesn't really matter if you don't make it somewhere, no matter how stubborn you get, but how adaptable you can be. And so I adapted to my pigeon lady life, and I adapted good enough to get the hell out of there. And now I'm here in Denver pursuing what I wanted to do and still dreaming about my pigeons that I miss and thinking about Larry every once in a while and wondering if he's still making tiny bombs from oranges. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tour Denver. If you enjoyed the podcast and live in Denver, join us on July 11th at Infinite Monkey Theorem for our next event titled Tales of the Tour.
Here's a reminder to head to RackandTourDenver.com where you can find upcoming events, speaker bios, podcasts, and more. Our music this episode was created by Tom Hagerman. Find out more about Tom at TomHagerman.com.